What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we deifying what has been and saying what has been is God? Or are we moving with a God who is ever expanding us? Welcome to what is going to be an absolutely delicious episode. <laughs> I am so excited for you guys to listen to this. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And we're about to drop some Alexander freaking Shia on you guys in our Bible series here. And if you haven't heard of Alexander Shia, um, he's got this amazing book out. He's also done multiple interviews with uh, Pete Holmes on You Made It Weird. Um, he's also been on Rob Bell's podcast. He did this beautiful episode over Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got some good um, sermons, too, from some churches that he's visited. Oh, yeah, Maybe yeah. even from his own. Uh, I saw, uh, just searching podcasts, that there's a lot of material available if people would like to hear this just wonderful, gracious man speak from the heart about some really, really fresh perspectives. Yeah, and uh, so we thought it appropriate that he would kind of... Uh, put the bookend on our uh, on our bible series so obviously short bible series obviously <laughs> yeah. it's really short bible series three parts and obviously we didn't go into super you know great depth but that's why we're gonna we're gonna keep the conversation going we'll obviously come back and revisit a lot of these topics and this is also why we have recommended reading so yeah. you can really nerd out on, on some of the more specific type areas but and there will be a recommended reading probably coming soon uh just as an episode as well but alexander shy's book that you'll want to look for is called heart and mind and it's an updated version of his other book uh, this all started from this thing you're going to hear about the quadratos journey yeah and the other book was called the hidden power of the gospels yes and man what you're going to hear and why we are doing this is not to get people to read the Bible more or, you know, anything. We think that there is so much confusion 
and what I like to call like a one dimensional, like almost cartoon caricature of the way people see the Bible is this like book of rules or this, you know, religious weight. I, you know, I remember hearing an anecdote from Mark Twain where he used to have nightmares about uh, he'd be laying down in this grassy knoll, almost like taking a nap, and he would see this enormous Bible fall out of the sky and pummel him to death. <laughs> no, seriously, he had this reoccurring nightmare. And I think a lot of people see the Bible that way, and we don't understand that it's an ancient library of books by multiple authors, which yep. Dr. Timothy Mackey kind of got into. And the cool thing about Alexander Shia is this: what he talks about isn't necessarily new, and you're going to hear that. Right. But I would bet a whole lot of money that you've never heard this before. This is no matter be where unique, you're at on the spectrum. Very unique perspective. Oh, and the the thing that I I, I want to uh, to point out to our like our non-religious folks really key in on the part where he talks about the fact that the writers and the authors of the Gospels knew that there were differences and. And uh, yeah, because the Bible contradicts, right? You, all right. the Gospels contradict. They're contradictory accounts of Jesus, aren't they? Maybe. <laughs> I guess you'll have to wait and see. Yeah. But, uh, but he talks about that. He addresses that point head on and explains why not only did the authors know, were they aware of the fact, uh, but they didn't care because that wasn't the main point. And he'll he'll talk about that a little bit more, too. Yeah. So definitely check out his book. Uh, the new version is Heart and Mind, The Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformations. Um, this guy's absolutely brilliant. He went to Notre Dame, got his undergraduate degree in cultural anthropology, he briefly attended seminary where he got not one, but two master's degrees in religious education and counseling education, and then eventually went on to get his, his PhD in clinical psychology. So oh, he comes with a such very... Such cool perspective. Oh my gosh, so interesting. And then he talks about his background, which I think is equally as interesting. Ama because this is all about story. The Deconstructionist podcast is all about where you were, where you are, and where you're going. And one of the cool things about ending our Bible series with Alexander Shia is he takes some of the work of Joseph Campbell, and he's influenced by Joseph Campbell. And for whoever you are, whether you're religious, non-religious, Christian, fundamentalist, atheist, whatever, we're all on a journey. And there is a lot you can learn about your journey and how to maximize, I would say, your journey by taking a look into these accounts of this astonishing man called Jesus from these four different accounts, which is what Alexander Shai is going to get into. So anything yeah. else? No, that's that's it. Uh, enjoy it. And I'm as we so say, freaking excited for these guys dude, to listen this guy, to this. This guy is going to blow your mind oh, in the so best way. so good. But like we always say, just keep an open mind. Oh. Um, you know, the idea is not for us to get guests on that, that we... 100% agree with all the time and and no I still don't know what to do with this I'm gonna be perfectly honest I'm yeah. like this is amazing this is wonderful this is beautiful I've literally never heard any of this before yeah I'm gonna have to like marinate on this for a while that's so good though because that is our goal that's right get that's right unique perspectives on the show um, looking at things in ways that maybe you haven't considered before and just let it marinate in your brain oh dude and you're gonna love this so prepare put a helmet on <laughs> strap in strap in and just enjoy this, man. And just enjoy this wonderful man. And uh, to Dr. Shia, uh, Alexander, as you like to be called, if you're listening to this, thank you again so much for this opportunity. Yeah, and before we forget, um, he, he just went through some, some pretty serious uh, medical issues. Um, in fact, uh, those of you that have followed him, he was on the Robcast over Christmas time and had to have emergency surgery. So for those of you um, that are, that are you know, uh, that pray, um, if you could send some good some thoughts out to him, uh, you know, 
in terms of his recovery. And uh, those of you that don't, just put out some good positive vibes for him. He could use it. And um, and again, yeah, thank you so much for doing our show. Uh, we think you're really going to love it. And uh, without mm. further ado, here's Dr. Dr. Alexander, Alexander Freaky Shia. <laughs> Dr. Shia, how are you? I'm fine. Can, you can skip the doctor part. Alexander's enough. Oh, okay, thank w- you. wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> how are you feeling, Alexander? Um, well, that's a moment by moment answer. Uh, in the moment, I'm okay. This is uh, uh, yesterday was feeling great. Today, meh. anyway, <laughs> you're a busy guy right now. This uh, this stuff you're doing, this material is really bringing you a lot of uh, well-deserved attention and opportunity, and we're so excited it is. Well, thank you. Thank you. It, it's, a, it's a sleeper. Um, I mean, it's just quietly out there doing the work. And in the last year, there's a, there's a new momentum. We'll, we'll see where, where spirit's going to take this. Well, we're going to do yeah. everything we can to, to help get it into his hands as many people as possible. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So um, I guess, I mean, if you're okay to get started, we can... Uh, kind of talk a little bit about, I, I think, you know, a good place to start would be your background. And um, I obviously we got your book and I thought um, the story of kind of your upbringing and your heritage was was fascinating and kind of how that shaped, you know, your upbringing and, and what led you to to uh, University of Notre Dame and that sort of thing. So uh, maybe we could start there if you don't mind and, and kind of talk a little bit about that. Sure. If that's not going to offend all your Ohio State fans. <laughs> <laughs> they'll get over it. Yeah, they'll get over it. <laughs> they need some humbling. Yes. Uh, uh, now, we're the ones that took the humbling, but all right. <laughs> really, this is the first time I've talked about the material since I was with Rob in December. And uh, it may actually I mean, I, I heard you talking about feeling naked. I feel very naked right now because my mind is just really sort of... Um, far away. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting conversation. So yeah, why don't we start with um, kind of your, your childhood and, and kind of the, the unique upbringing and, and heritage that you come from and, and, and some of those influences that uh, kind of affected your pat your initial path in life and how you went to, to Notre Dame. Because my, my understanding is that you come from a long line of, of priests. Is that correct? I do. Uh, my, my father's family um, in the village in Lebanon is the line of priests. And in that old uh, traditional Semitic Lebanese way of living, uh, you have a biological obligation to your village. And wow. Oh, wow. so um, I come from a line uh, of 11 priests over 13 generations. Wow. Wow. Okay. And, and each son that was designated to be the priest was designated at birth. And given the name Alexander. Oh my gosh! So it, again, it, I grew up in that old tribal way of, at your birth, you're named as your role in the family and your role, your role for the tribe. And Man, there's oh not a lot of room in that old system for deviation or following your bliss. Uh, and, and 
Fortunately for me, it was very close to exactly what my life is about. But it was a very um, deep sorrow for my parents that I didn't fulfill the role in the way that they wanted me to. Man, I know, I know we have a, just to give you a little background on our listenership, we have a lot of people from every aspect of faith, non-faith, more, you know, academic, intellectual, um, empirical materialist to, you know, the charismatic Pentecostal, evangelical and fundamentalist. So I think a lot of people across the whole spectrum can relate to what you're saying, just having expectations from parents, but then, you know, maybe finding themselves somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, you're already super just resonating with people. Right. So when I went to Notre Dame, it's like my agreement with my father was that I would go to get my undergraduate degree and then go to seminary, which in fact is what I did. Yeah. But my time at Notre Dame really changed my my whole view of the world of life of myself. Wow. And uh, when I got to seminary, I found a world that was very restrictive and narrow yeah. and yeah. no longer worked for me. Talk about that just a little bit. Expand on what you mean by restrictive. Well, at, at Notre Dame in the, in the late uh, 60s and the early 70s, um, the theology department had become alive with the work of Carl Jung in a very oh, right. w- yep. wonderful, odd way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, very cool. And Joseph Campbell came and lectured on campus every springtime for a week. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. You you just made John's day. Yeah, so lucky. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and I was just this, you know, undergrad, just loving this guy. This was long before Joseph Campbell was sort of discovered as Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah. But he every every year he would lecture for a week on scripture as great myth. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and those those weeks just turned my life around. And wow. I can only imagine. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. How did it turn your life around? Well, um, it something fit because in my Semitic world, and, and I keep using the word Semite, Semite because the, the village people of Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel, Palestine were all Semites. Yeah, sure. I don't know how that word has, has come to be associated with just one of the one of the peoples of the Middle East. Media, yep. <laughs> so we, we share a common worldview, which is poetic and metaphoric and in some ways, if you would say, circular. Wow. And, and Campbell's way of opening scripture uh, was exactly that, and it just brought me right back home, and I found a language and a, and a way of talking about life that made sense to me. Amazing. Uh, <clears throat> So scripture, which had begun to become a little dull at Notre Dame <laughs> in, the, in the Western historical critical method way of looking at it, mm. um, it, it didn't have the aliveness that it did for me as a child mm, yeah. until, until Campbell sort of re-infused it with this well of new energy. But as soon as I found that, it set me at odds with my family and my my Lebanese upbringing, and suddenly I was having thoughts that weren't generally acceptable. Oh, my gosh. Certainly, and certainly not acceptable to talk about. Oh. Yeah. Something that everyone on this podcast, I think, can, can relate to in some way, whether they've repressed it or, or acutely experienced that. So then when I got to seminary, what I found was seminary in those days was very much 
here's the question, here's the answer, dot the I. And the box of that, after the expansion in college, going back in that box was just too painful. Oh, wow. So is is that when you, you kind of uh, decided to, to go down a different path? Because you went into anthropology, is that is that right? Uh, I was in anthropology at Notre Dame. Okay, okay. Uh, which was a phenomenal preparation for uh, for later what I would learn through Campbell. Okay. okay. But both of those, but both of those, sort of cracked open the shell of Catholicism that I had grown up with. Wow, man, man. Although I must say that when you, when that crack happens, you're drawn to it, but at the same time you you're beginning to understand the cost of it, and. I don't really, I mean, I, I have to ascribe to spirit or whatever the, the sort of the courage to, uh, to walk that journey because it was pretty lonely uh, to, to stand up before your tribe and say, I'm going a different way. Wow. So then you end up, so then you end up realizing seminary is, is just not, not the path I'm supposed to take. So then you go off and you, you do end up getting your PhD, but in a different field. So talk a little bit about that. So I, I, I wandered through a number of master's degrees in education and counseling, and then eventually got my PhD in clinical psych. Mm, wow. Uh, primarily because I needed a, a degree that was marketable. Mm, sure, sure. And, and it's really served me, although I've never worked fully as a psychologist. Mm. Uh, I've, I've, I've had a small private practice. But what I discovered in clinical psych was that essentially they're describing the same healing journey that I'd already discovered in, in the great spiritual masters. You, you go back to Campbell and the hero's journey or the heroine's journey. That's an archetype that's, in my mind, a fairly universal. Wow. But, but every archetype is going to be personalized for you in your culture, in your language, in your the way your nervous system works, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to find your um, individual, unique way of walking something that is also universal. Mm. Wow. And I'd already sort of grounded myself in the spiritual classics, both East and West, and was becoming comfortable with seeing um, a, a rhythm that happens underneath all the practices that all the differing traditions are sharing. Yeah. And then when I got into clinical psych, it was like for a while, I was like, oh, this felt like something different. But in the end, for me, it, it ended up just being another language, another metaphor for the same journey with perhaps not as much a contract of, t of talking about spirit. Mm. Wow. wow, man. Oh, that's so good. Oh, the stream's kind of combined. So um, one of the things that, you know, we, we really wanted to kind of, before we launch into specifically talking about the work that you're doing right now, because that's really why we want you here, and we want people to hear this perspective, is John and I are in the middle on this podcast of doing a, kind of a little expose on scriptures and holy writings. And one of the things that we found and one of the reasons we really wanted to take three parts to do this is 
that we see just a huge polarization, which you already kind of alluded to a little bit, that on one side of the, the polarization, you've got the sort of hyper-fundamentalist, very staunch, um, every I, every punctuation will be argued over, and you can't change, you know, KG, KJV only, um, very, very tight, rigid. And then on the other side, it's all just this kind of syrupy subjectivism that's very wishy-washy and symbolic and doesn't really mean much of anything other than what you find in it. And what we find in your work that's so fresh and beautiful is you're not throwing it out and saying, no, this didn't happen, and you're not going all the way subjective. You found this beautiful, I won't even call it a middle, I'll just call it a third rail almost, <laughs> that we haven't heard before, and we're just, we love it. And we just want you to kind of talk about that a little bit, because that's what our listeners are, are looking at. We have people that are you know, that don't value scripture at all and just throw it out completely. And we have people that probably, if you can, and I think you know the language that I'm using here, almost overvalue it, almost worship it and, and are afraid of it. Well, again, I guess I'll go back to the theology that I got at Notre Dame, um, which was really about discovering the, the ground of the universal. Mm always knowing that you have to make it personal. So it's, oh. it's, not, it's not a bland, one size fits everyone. But um, I, I talk about how, if you look at the growing cycle of, a, of, of plants that are going to flower, uh, at the level of the, of the biology about how a plant, how the cells uh, divide and eventually form stems and leaf structure and a bloom. Yeah. That's a universal. Yeah. Uh, how that bloom looks, the shape of the leaf, um, the environment that it grows in, those are the incredible diverse particulars. Oh, man. That is, That's beautiful. <laughs> that is so cool. That's great, man. And what all the great spiritual traditions are doing is they are, they're, each one of them is a particular type of lovely bloom. Mm. But the growing cycle underneath is fairly universal. Mm. So, so Campbell put language, was the first person to put language for me on there is this rhythm of four movements that make up a cycle of what he called the hero or heroine's journey. Mm. And once I had that rhythm of four working inside myself, then I began, then a whole series of, of, of things began to fit together. Mm. Uh, there a, a lot of foreignness. And one of the things that kept going on in the back of my, my mind and rumbling around in my heart was, did this have anything to do with how we ended up with four Gospels? Mm. Huh. Because it seems very odd to me yeah. that we end up with four Gospels. Yeah. And, I, I think that everybody wonders what in the world we need four Gospels for, and that look at how many contradictions, and you know, there are different perspectives, and blah, blah, blah. And, and that the very first thing that was written about the choice of a Gospel by Irenaeus in the second century, he didn't say we're going to go find the correct story of Jesus. He said the Gospel must be four witnesses. And he put a great stress on that there must be four. And that's like stunning when you stop to think about, well, yeah. oh. what, what the heck is he thinking about? Because, <laughs> oh yeah, why? It's like, why would he say that? Right. I mean, 
Because clearly we all know we're looking for the right story of Jesus. We got to get it right. We got to get, we need the video camera. The history, yeah, the historical yeah. record has to be perfect. So immediately I'm thinking, what's this foreness about that he's relating to? And one of the things that I've discovered is that in, in, in Jewish tradition, they think of the journey with spirit or the journey with Yahweh as having four parts to it. Whoa. And that that four part structure is is seen in the coming out of Egypt. Uh, and the journey through the wilderness, the arrival in the promised land, and then making the promised land your everyday reality. Wow. And Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. Right. And so we my, I'm making a, a, a leap here. I can't find documentation that that a goes to B, but my leap is because Judaism had this, their name for the journey with God was this four-part movement mm. that we as Christians didn't see any need to redo the journey. No. We, we needed to add the impact and the presence of Jesus to Christ. Mm. It's, a lens, so, it's a lens to relook at that same journey. Right. Oh. And take it, and, and in an integrative way, take it deeper into incarnation. Oh, oh man. <laughs> so the correct story of Jesus is not the correct story of his biological life, but it's the correct story of the path about how you walk this journey of growth and transformation. Yes. Wow. Anyway, that's... Oh. All right, well, just get into it now. Talk, talk about that, you know, so what we've got here is, uh, you know, the book, The Hidden Power of the Gospels, and then you've got this Quadratus ministry, which is just amazing. You can talk about that as much as you want, talk about your work as much as you want. Any perspective you provide at this point will just be gravy. Right, and, and um, there's, a, there's a further edition of The Hidden Power that's like two years out now called Heart and Mind. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, they both essentially are the same material. Heart and Mind has got uh, uh, two more chapters and uh, some new editing. I like the title, I, Heart and Mind. Yeah, I, I, I love that title. and I, uh, Because to me, that's exactly... I, I grew up in a tradition which was greatly about heart. And then when I got to college, I had to discover um, a whole new level of Western critical thought. Mm. And then putting those together was not easy. But mm. for myself, I don't want a community that asks me to do heart over mind or mind over heart. I oh, want oh man. That is so good. So I had this epiphany moment. I don't know really what to call it. That happened in the year 2000. And... I had been working on this why four gospels, why four gospels for really since since my time at Notre Dame. Wow. And and there were moments I tried to force the metaphor and fortunately I have enough a little bit of integrity to step back from the ledge and like, no, this really isn't working. I get real <laughs> <laughs> Like I want this to be working, but I'm not yeah, sure. I'm there I, yet. You know, it's like I really wanted this idea to work, but but it just for a long time it just no nah, this uh, you know, I'm selling a bill of goods. It's not really, it really isn't there. <laughs> and, uh, and then this book came out in the late 90s called The Four Witnesses by uh, 
the Reverend Robin Griffith Jones, an Anglican priest at, at Oxford in, in England. Okay. And what he did is he, he, the book is about the names of Jesus in the Gospels. Mm. But at the opening of each one of his chapters, he summarizes the best scholarship that we have on where we think the gospel was written, mm. what was going on in the community mm. the time the gospel was composed. Oh, or, so important. So juicy called. context. And that, and that was it. I mean, I started his book, and like just every little hair on the back of my neck, it was just this moment because as a clinical psychologist, and, and then after all these years of spiritual practice, when I read his narrative of the community, I was like, oh, I know this question. And I just opened the scriptures, and I, and I opened to Matthew, um, because I knew that Matthew was the first gospel in the reading cycle. And I said, okay, Let's see what Matt, let's, I'm going to read this not as the story of Jesus. I'm going to read this as the story of Jesus teaching us about what it's like to wake up. Wow. What do you mean by wake up for, for listeners that, you know, maybe don't consider themselves spiritual. I love that language and I would just love love you to pause and just touch on that for a sec. It's just when it's that moment when we start entertaining a new question or a new thought, Mm. perhaps the question, the thought's been there a long time. Yes. We've been holding it off or shutting it out or, but when it just comes into our lives, sometimes crashing into our lives or, uh, and it just won't, it just won't be ignored anymore. Mm, So true. Oh, great. Awesome. So every, I mean, from the first word of Matthew to the last word of Matthew, if we look at it as this is a profound teaching about how you walk into something that's new and uncomfortable and oh. and it's when when you really know it's there it won't go away even though it's sort of gnawing at you oh who can't relate to that yeah oh um, so good and and then this and then the gospel just opened up in this i even though i almost know the words by heart it was like a story that i had never heard before Oh, wow. So, Man. of course, you know, let's let's look at like where Jesus is born in the text of Matthew. And for a moment, let's set aside the idea of the video cam. Right. Yeah, but, right. But most people are not going to realize that Matthew says that Jesus is born in Mary and Joseph's home in Bethlehem. Whoa which is where the Magi come to worship. Wow. There's no journey to Bethlehem. There's no wandering around for um, a place for the child to be born. Uh, And when you realize that the truth is, if, if we're looking at the text today as, tell me about the experience of when spirit comes and visits me with a new question. Oh, man. That question happens right in the middle of a rather habitual, ordinary, daily life routine. And like, bam, where did this come from? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Man. 
So what I find interesting, though, you know, uh, is, is that yourself, as well as a lot of other, like what I would consider scholars on the forefront right now, are are pointing to um, pointing past the surface of this very kind of, I guess, surfacey reading of scripture, yeah. and, and pointing at this much, much deeper truth. Uh, that the that scripture is trying to convey, but for some reason that we seem to keep missing. Yeah, mm. we 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 keep looking at the structure of the flower rather rather than looking at the growing process from which the flower is birthed. Wow, oh, man. man, that is so good. All right, so so you're reading Matthew and you have this epiphany and you start to realize this. Then what? Well, so um, Robin Griffith Jones had, had just given me the door because he's talking about that we think Matthew is composed or revealed for the Christian Jewish community in the city of Antioch, Great right. Antioch, uh, in the in soon after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the massacre of the Jewish priesthood. Yeah. Well, oh. this. This moment, the loss of the temple and the priesthood, for many Jews at that moment, they thought it was the apocalypse. They thought yeah. it was the end time. Absolutely. Uh. And Matthew's answer to them is, no, this is not end time. This is beginning time. So Matthew almost becomes like this, what do you do when everything you know has fallen apart? How do you move forward? Precisely. Oh, who can't and, relate to that? And, and the thing about Matthew is it's comforting to say you can move forward. Yes. Absolutely. But at the very same time, he also says, you got to leave it all behind. You, you, can't, you can't be overly nostalgic. Uh-uh, you can't. Nostalgia, uh, I've learned, is this almost is this warm word, but it's, it's kind of a prison. It is. It's, it's um, when you're in Antioch of the first century, you're covered in ash. And you've got to knock the ash off and move forward. Man, and, wow. that's, that's and, the quote quote of the day right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, it's it's the it's it's so deeply true, and it's harrowing how this gospel ends, because the gospel ends on an unnamed mountain of where the resurrected Christ shows himself. Unnamed. Yeah, if you know anything about Jewish tradition. Yeah. The Jewish tradition names its sacred places. You name the mountains. <laughs> you name the mountains. And you, with the loss of the, of the holy mountain in Jerusalem, you're absolutely going to name that mountain where the risen Christ is appearing. Oh, I even think of like the conversation of Jesus with the woman at the well when they're talking about which mountain. Yeah, yeah. But that, but that Matthew does not name the mountain is like this singular wisdom about now in this presence of the Christ moving forward, every place is the mountain of the resurrection. Oh, there's no place back there to go to. What do you think it would have been like to be a Christian or a believer or even an unbeliever and hear that for the first time in that day and age? Um, exciting and, and frightening. Oh. Because in the loss of the temple and the loss of the priesthood, to have this thought removed you from the from the body of the Jewish people. This wow. was this was a thought that was it was not acceptable 
to say we don't have to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rededicate the priesthood. Oh my gosh. And you are just in, in one fell swoop, you are just cutting yourself off from everything. But like, you know, we, we quote Richard Rohr a lot. You're also transcending and including. Yes. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's the, one of the singular pieces of what happened with Jesus the Christ in the first century is that we were liberated from any particular piece of land as being sacred. Mm. to everything and everybody being sacred. Wow. And wow. That's, that is the hallmark of our tradition. I mean, I, I, to me, I, I totally claim Christianity is my tradition. Yeah, sure. And Us too. Um, I mean, we are the first tradition that we have on record. There may be other traditions that did, didn't leave behind a record, but it was our belief in the Christic cosmos that it empowered us to go everywhere. Everywhere is sacred. We, did, we didn't go taking the Christ everywhere. We went everywhere and said the Christ is already here. Man. Wow. One of the things that I, you know, that's always stuck with me about the Christian tradition for the last 2,000 years is, to, to the best of my knowledge, it's the only one that never had a Mecca that stayed there, a Jerusalem that stayed there. The epicenter of Christianity is constantly on the move. Absolutely. It, it, is, it is our hallmark. And today we need to reclaim the particularness of it along with the universality. We need deep, deep, deep care for every cell of earth and sky and cosmos. Mm, yes. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Because <laughs> it's all the body of Christ. Oh, man. <laughs> This is good stuff, man. I hope for whoever's listening to this, I hope you're getting your mind blown like we are. Yeah. Oh, so that, what else? You want to say anything else about Matthew? What else? Well, this, this stunning end where we have the unnamed mountain that now represents every place in the cosmos. And here we are quaking because we know that we're, we're having these new thoughts that are separating us from what has gone on before. And... Of course, what we want Jesus to do is we want Jesus to say, well, you know, guys and girls, go here, go there. Here's the plan. Here's the budget. Wow. Here's how, yeah. here's how you do this. Here's the time frame. And what the Christ does is says, put your hand in mine and let's go. Uh. <laughs> it's the only guarantee that we really need. You know, our minds want all this assurity, all this certainty, all this. Yes. And we don't get that. No, and that's kind of what where this idea for this podcast kind of came from. John and I have been doing a lot of repenting from needing all that assurance and the deconstructionist aspect, even though we're using that word kind of tongue-in-cheek and a little irresponsibly in some ways. Uh, it's just kind of like repenting of that need for over-assurance and over-certainty. Which, which seems to be this very kind of Western stance on Christianity is just we have to we have to have everything perfectly defined and and we have to have the answers for everything and it's it's kind of been very very freeing for us to reach this point where you know we're we're okay with ambiguity and mystery and it's more beautiful in, oh, in that way yeah um my my perspective on that is that every generation and every new age and every new philosophy adds something 
but oh, it's yes. only one more step in an ongoing journey. So Christianity grew a lot through the period of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment brought us many, many, many gifts. But there's a point where the Enlightenment started to hurt us. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we need to, you know, we need to stand in the ash of the Enlightenment and go now and, and really reach for the beautiful metaphors of mystery. Yes, oh, I, we agreed. completely agree. There's a quote that uh, we're going to quote you for a sec because we, we were talking <laughs> about this before we started. There's something you said once that you said the God that you understood was founded in poetic mystery, not just reason. Right. I think that's what you're saying right now. And I, God, I love that, Alexander. Well, it, it, is, it is. And we always need to be reaching for the other. I mean, I, I yes. grew. Yes. I, I discovered the beauty of reason. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. And that's why I love this title, Heart and Mind. I agree. And each one of us has got our own recipe for how much heart and how much mind. But I would invite oh. us never to, never to sacrifice one for the other. Oh, man. Wow. So, so, so Matthew, Matthew is, is how to face change. And so then, so then did you discover... You know, did you move into Mark right away, or was that kind of a process in deciding which which one is the next in the line of paths? Well, what what I had what I had discovered back in the work at Notre Dame, because the research was just happening, is that there was an ancient cycle to how you read the Gospels. That second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century thought of this as a continuous account, not as four different accounts. Wow. Really? And the reading cycle is first Matthew, second Mark, third John, and fourth Luke Acts. Wow. And when you put them in that cycle, from my metaphor, you're reading Campbell's The Hero's Journey. No. Oh my gosh. Where now that's that's completely um you know, if you if you look at all of these modern uh scholarly projects like you know, the Jesus seminar and that sort of thing, they're stripping it down to chronological order, you know? So a lot of them would say Mark and then Matthew, Luke, and then John as the last that was written. So this is, this is very unique. This is fresh. Well, I mean, it's, it's unique to us, but it was foundational to yes. uh, second to sixth exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Fresh to our generation. Ex ex talk I, more about that because I, I think a lot, of, a lot of people think that this is this brand new concept, but in reality... The, the idea behind what we consider this modern scholarship of dissecting the Gospels is actually new. Right. Well, I'm going to go back to Irenaeus in the second century and his stress on why we have to have four accounts, that the revelation is in the fourness. Mm. And the fourness is just, you know, forget about fourness, and it doesn't have to be four, et cetera. It was just his metaphor. Fourness was his metaphor for the journey. Mm. Wow. And what they needed, what... He started in Christianity was we want to give people the journey with spirit. We want to give people the journey with Jesus the Christ, not wow. just Jesus's journey, but the journey that you're going to make with Jesus. Oh, that's so good. And, <laughs> and their metaphor was you're a slave in Egypt, which was yeah. there's yep. something in you which is locked down and frozen and not vital enough. Yeah. And when you entertain that question, you begin to break out of that slavery. And mm. so for that, they rightfully, in my mind, 
chose the text of Matthew as the text about how we start the journey again. Yeah. Now, I mean, now that you say that, it seems obvious. Yeah, it seems obvious. And then where do you go after you leave Egypt? You go out to this wild, woolly wilderness, which is like unto a death experience. Wow. And for that text, they chose Mark. And then where do you go after the wilderness? You cross and arrive, first moment arrival in the promised land. And for that text of the promise of this new promise to you, they chose John. Eternal life and joy. Right. But the thing is, is that that's the high moment. But there's a whole work that comes out of that. It took the Israelites 200 years after arriving in the promised land before they had a nation, before they wow. had a nation state. Yeah. And so the fourth chapter of this journey is Luke Acts, which is about how you take the vision of the promise and make it your everyday reality. Yeah, you can't stay in the ecstasy. No. The ecstasy is just the energy to the long, hard work of grunt work. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a quote right there. That is something the church needs so desperately to hear. Yes. And I was surprised in my research to find out that there are churches that primarily read only John all year long. Interesting. Man. I, that, that would not work for me. I'll just, I'll say that. Just, no. no. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a little too ecstatic. So, so now that we've overviewed a little bit, talk, uh, go into Mark a little bit. Give us, give us some nuggets from Mark. So now, uh, Mark, we believe, is coming out of uh, the city of Rome in the year 64, 65 AD. Yeah. And what's just happened is, is that Rome burned in July of 64. Mm -hmm. And it burned for seven days. And Nero was being accused of being behind the fire, which, mm, in right. fact, he may have been. Yeah. And he needed a scapegoat. And somehow he was convinced to blame the Christian Jews for the burning of Rome. Wow. And um, yeah, having, I read that, yeah. And having blamed them, he then passed a death sentence upon all Christian Jews. Wow. Wow. And so um, the Christian Jews are in the Jewish community, which is on the other side of the Tiber River, and it's a ghetto. And we are essentially in our homes under house arrest, awaiting for the Roman soldiers to come and take us to the Circus Maximus where we're going to be killed. Uh, well, now, if you open up the text of Mark, man, you can hear this as the prayer meditation of those about to die. Oh, completely. Wow. I mean, Jesus with the wild animals. Right. And, and I, I love, like, how does Mark open the text? He opens the text by giving us a meditation on John the Baptist. Now, what would John the Baptist have to say to a people who are about to, to die because the emperor needs a scapegoat? Hmm. Oh. Oh. And, and you just you can see in the revelation of Mark that he's, that he's given the, the, the Christians in Rome a powerful path to emulate and to calm themselves, realizing that they are 
present moment John the Baptists who, uh. who are going to die on the whim uh, of a governmental official. This, wow. this is a way of reading scripture that I know will be completely foreign to almost everyone listening to this, Alexander. Yeah. But 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 so so beautiful and so fresh. beautiful and fresh. Well, and it and the the power of Mark is because we now know that these gospels were revealed to already baptized Christians. They were not composed initially for evangelization in that way. Right. They didn't they, put them in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they they were like us. They were like, okay, we're a believer, but now how do we, we've got this life experience? What are, how are we supposed to follow here? What are we supposed to do? What's our practice? What's our prayer? So the community of Mark, which is about to physically die, man already have a, already have had an experience of resurrection. They're not going to death without an experience of resurrection. So Mark, <laughs> Mark, is, Mark is the prayer of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but knowing at some level resurrection. Oh, man. I hope you get as excited talking about this over and over as we do hearing about it. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, man, this is good stuff. Well, this is the, for me, it's the foundation of my life. And it's, it's, this is how I try and how I try to live, how I try to pray, how I try to live. Wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you can tell this is shot through with not just scholarship, but existential passion for, on your part, which I think that whoever is listening to this, it's just such a gift to get to hear that. You know, we're, we're soaked in academy in the West. And what you're doing, the work you're doing is so fresh is because it's so human. Well, I, I love, again, how Mark ends the original ending of Mark, which has been such a conundrum question for, for people for so long. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's this gospel written to a people who are waiting to die. And and. The final lines of the text that, that they would have heard, the women came to the tomb, and a young man, they don't even get an angel, a young man tells them <laughs> that Jesus of Nazareth is, is risen and has gone ahead of them to Galilee. Yeah. yeah. And then says to them to go out and to tell Peter and the disciples. But the last line of the text is, the women fled from the tomb for fear and amazement had overtaken them. Uh, and they said nothing to anyone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> so to a people of facing death, there's no appearance of the risen Christ in this gospel. And the last line of the text really serves almost like an examination of conscience. When you, when you are looking at your death, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? And one of the ways that I hear this is they weren't, Mark wasn't giving them a story about the risen Christ so that they would believe in the story. Mm. The risen Christ had to be a living reality in your heart, not because Peter gave you a story 
about seeing the risen Christ. It had to be a, it had to be your truth, not someone else's. Oh man, that's good. Because like you said, and you know, we forget this, but like these were written to people who were already experiencing this Christ life, this spirit life, this transformation. And and the very small historical record we have says that the Romans were very um, bored with us when we died in the Colosseum. Not not in the Colosseum, in the Circus Maximus. The Colosseum isn't built till the end of the first century. Uh, they were bored with us because we didn't give them the dramatics they wanted. Wow. <laughs> they and, died well. And you can't fake that. You no. can't fake uh, dying uh, a calm, dignified existence. No. I mean, the, the Christians that died in the Circus Maximus died because they were grounded in their own personal experience of the risen Christ. Oh, my God. That was, that, was, that was holding them through such a horrific moment. Oh, this is such wonderful stuff. But they weren't doing it because Peter told them the story. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They, di they didn't do it because they memorized some autobiographical facts. No, no. You, oh. just, you just, you can't fake that moment. No way, no. man. That's that. I mean, that is amazing. I'll never forget reading uh, Rod Rodney Stark's "The Rise of Christianity," and just the the way that the early Christians lived was such a riddle to everyone around them. Yeah. I wish that. And, and I wish that was the more the strength. Case. That I mean, I, I I will say that that one of the gifts of my life was understanding how powerful tribe is. Mm. And. Um, yeah. I still don't know where the strength came in me to to walk that different path. Man. But uh, it tribe is so powerful because if you follow if you follow what tribe wants you to do, they'll take care of you financially, emotionally, in yeah. every sort of way. You just may not have your vitality. Oh. There's not a person listening to this that can't relate to that. Absolutely. Whether it's a job, you know, I know they call it like golden handcuffs out there. You know you're yeah. called to do something else. You know you're called to be something else, to give some gift to the world. But, hey, I've got insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh. Just motivation to to to, to follow the the path le the path less traveled, I guess you know. We are so glad you took the the road less traveled, yeah, Alexander. Thank you, thank you. I I am too. Wonderful. Looking back now, yes, yes. Yeah, so so uh, that's that's probably good for Mark. Um, take us into to John and and Luke uh, Acts a little bit. Yeah. Well, John, we um. There, there are three competing ideas about where John was written. And one is Alexandria, one is Jerusalem, and one is Ephesus. I fall down on Ephesus, hmm. but I just, I see the fingerprint of Ephesus here. But regardless, John is this new moment. Um, John, Matthew has opened up for us this idea of the Christ everywhere. John, 30 years later, takes that idea and explodes it into truly something that's cosmic, where we now know that the Christ has always been, mm. always will be, mm. that everything that we visibly see 
are the moving cells of the body of the Christ. In the beginning was the word. Right. Mm, that's good, man. <laughs> and uh, our Jewishness, we know that that word can also be translated as breath. Yes. Yes. Yep. It just it's it is what has come out of the source, the Father. Uh, everything has come forth out of like word, like breath. Mm. So John now is going to break open all the, the uh, is going to totally move us beyond any particular tribe to all tribe. Wow. Oh, how does he do that? And we're going to see the conflict. Uh, and perhaps Nicodemus is one of the best examples of Nicodemus is the holy good teacher of yesterday that we must go beyond. There, whether it's our parents or our seminary professors or a friend, yeah. we interiorize good thoughts from our past, sure. and we don't resubmit them mm. thinking. Old wineskins. Old wineskins. And this is in John and, chapter 3. You're talking about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Right. Yeah. And the reason that I point so much to Nicodemus is because Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I see your goodness. I see mm. your holiness. Mm. I know I know the, the love and the compassion and the mercy which flows out of you. I, all of that is so much of God, Jesus. Mm. But we know there is a natural law, Jesus. We know that only if you have Jewish blood in you mm. can you know and follow the messiah so jesus how are you going to take someone who is already born and put them back in a jewish mother and give them jewish blood oh that's what he's talking about with born again yes it's the every time nicodemus is the natural law guy and the reality is with the christ the natural law is progression evolution growth transformation, continually expanding understanding of God, mystery, anything which is concrete and it's always has been exactly the same is against God, not with God. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> just give me a minute. Just give me, just, I need a minute. <laughs> oh, man, I think you just melted, Adam. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> uh, for my frame, it's so true. And it's this is this is the moment where we this is the crossroad moment. Um, are we deifying what has been mm. and saying what has been is God? Mm. Or are we moving with a God who is ever expanding us? Dude. Wow. Oh. Yes. yes. Oh and so goodness. Nicodemus is the tragic figure of John who stands as the, I mean, at one point he was right there with, with a growing, expanding God, but at some moment he allowed tribe and yesterday to take over. And he never Good quite stuff. He never quite is able to overcome 
uh, even though he's drawn to Jesus, uh, it's always the Jesus of yesterday rather than the Jesus of now. Wow. Man, I, uh, I think you broke my brain, Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. That is so good. And it's, it's one of the, I mean, John is a mystery upon a mystery upon a mystery that will never, there's no final answer to John. No. But, but the one aspect of John that I'm tracking for right now is John is about how vitally important it is for each one of us to move beyond the tribal answers of yesterday and allow God to expand us in a way that we can truly begin to form a new community mm. that's built upon a vital, tension-filled diversity. I, I, yes. You said that, uh, I think when we were texting last night, you used that language, and oh, you just, you got me so excited. That language, there is gold there. That is it. That is life. Uh, the Shalom is a verb about tension whoa shalom yeah. meaning peace uh, it's the it's the peace that comes when we mutual when we enter into mutual respect with diversity and every time you have diversity you're going to have tension yeah so you know why is it so important in the jewish tradition for 10 people to come together to form a worship service where from our perspective, as we look in, what are they doing? They're arguing over scripture. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're in a vigorous discussion. They are, in, they are engendering tension because they know that tension is the energy that brings forth expansion and oh. that we need expansion to get us to wider awareness and greater harmony. That oh, is so, so beautiful. Oh, that is so beautiful. That that's something that John and I have been contemplating a lot lately. Um, I know you reference uh, Phyllis Tickle in your work and some of her work on the the emergence and this five hundred year cycle and how the spirit is really defining this new age, this new emergence. Where you know first it's the papacy and then it became the scripture and now the cohesion and the authority and the energy is the spirit. Right. Right. Mm. Wow. That is so, so good. I, I think of for for people who know the uh, the musical style of a fugue. Yeah, you mentioned that in your uh, Shalom yeah. is like a fugue, and in, in a, a musical score of a fugue, first you hear each instrument or you hear each voice singly. Oh, and then in the middle part of the fugue, you hear them in tension, and um and they're they're not meshing, and it's it's um. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, uh, like you know, the tonality is, is, is off and it's half tones. Yeah. And then eventually as the few comes to its conclusion, the, the tension eases and this incredible new harmony mm. is born that you could almost weep off of. Oh, that oh, is man. gorgeous. That's Shalomi. Where could we hear some of that? <laughs> Let's go for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's do it right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, that's, that is so good. So, so that is John and, and trace that to the theme of joy that you talk about real quick before we hit Luke and, uh, and let you on your way here. Well, joy is really the byproduct of relationship of, of when two people each in their own vitality can come together in deep appreciation for themselves and the other. Oh. What happens there is joy. Oh, man. So true. And what a divine thing that is. Yes. And, and it's very ephemeral. It doesn't, it, it's not going to last every moment, every day. No, right, right. Um, you have to but, keep pursuing it, keep doing it, keep absolutely. fuguing. And, and so uh, when, we, when we come to the end of John, we have that incredible story of Jesus and Peter at the lake. Mm. And, you know, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's got the drug. He's just, he's just had this incredible worship experience or a great high or a retreat or whatever. And it's like, well, of course I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I got the, I got the feeling. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, well, Peter, I don't want you to tell me about your feelings. Yeah. Uh, I want you to go take care of the sheep. Oh man. Now this is code language in the first century. This is not uh, the time of David when shepherds are uh, wonderful people. No, no, no. Right. Uh, first century shepherds are uh, pedophiles, thieves, brigands, uh, just all the undesirables, whatever your name for the undesirables are, that's what's in there with shepherd. Yeah. So Jesus is saying to Peter, you know, go be with that aspect in life. Then I will know that you love me. Go to the lowest and the least and the last and the lost. Yes. And that, that is that dovetailing then into Luke? Is that the link? To totally. Oh, man. Because Luke is about how we're going to serve that least and lost in ourselves and with others. It's like you can't stay in the ecstasy. You're not, that's not life. That's not really living. That's just... Yeah, you the, have to go the, out. The ecstasy is a well of energy mm. to do the work. Yes. It's not the work. That is so, so good. Oh, man. Oh, my mind hurts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so then that, that leads us into Luke then. That leads us into Luke and... Um, the question for the Lucan community was, here we are, we've got this new well of energy, we've got this enlivened perspective about how all people can live as one, and the Roman Empire has just made us criminals and is executing us. How are we supposed to meet this moment? Wow. And the text of Luke-Acts gives us, here's Jesus, here's Peter, here's Paul. All of them were put to death. You probably are not going to get out of this uh, with a with a free card. Yeah. The, the question is: Are you going to believe in the truth of Spirit enough to accept doing the small works that you can do without bitterness, without resentment, without despair? Wow. Leave leave the big picture to God. Talk about a higher consciousness. Because what, what Luke keeps doing in his text, he keeps bringing it, he keeps saying, don't look down the road. You're, you're going to get discouraged if you look down the road. 
Wow. Like like on like on the Emmaus Road. Yes. Uh look at right now. Look at what you're doing right now. Who are your friends? How are you supporting them? How are they supporting you? What does God want you to do today? Luke uh, keeps bringing us back to the word now and today. I, I just am seeing now, and I'm so excited about it, how this movement from Matthew to Luke provides, you know, I don't want to say a complete journey, but I don't know what else other word to use. Like, I get it. It's one metaphor. Man. <laughs> four paths, but, or four, it's not... Yeah, it's not even like it's four paths, four four parts of the path. Wow. I mean, I talk about the gospel now as having four chapters. It's one it's one story with four chapters. Oh, that's Oh, good. I love that. Yeah. I will henceforth look at it that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, before we I think before we we wrap it up, we just have one question we we hope that you could touch on a little bit before we before we go. Um and it's one thing that we really emphasize to to our listeners, and that is kind of going outside our, our normal stream uh, when, when it comes to reading other people's ideas and thoughts. And yeah. I remember this really great quote that you had when you were referring to one of your college professors at Notre Dame, uh, John Dunn, I believe it was. And you spoke about the each person's need to cross over into other traditions and return home with a wider perspective. Um, yes, we think that's so important. So, could you just touch on that briefly and and talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, um, and and this is the University of Notre Dame theology professor, not the the more famous John Dunn. But <laughs> right. but yeah, but John, but John talked about how we we so need to go to other traditions and discover that they have a living presence of the Spirit. Wow, that gets us out of our more narrow view that it's only my tradition that has any sense of truth. Oh. Yes. But we must come home. Each one of us has a natural at home place mm. and that the other traditions are there to enliven us and to expand us. But I, I really believe, I, I mean, I, I don't hold this as an absolute for anyone else, but I really believe because it's worked so much in my life. I have been so, my Christianity has been so enriched by my exploration of other traditions. Mm, could you oh, touch on that. just a little bit of that, man? I would love to hear and learn from you just a little bit of that autobiography right there. Well, uh, first of all, in, in the anthropology, we had to do a tremendous amount of work on, on the earliest organized religion, which was shamanism. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, the shamanic understanding of nature and not pantheism, but the understanding of how, how nature is, is an alive organism. Mm. Bring that home to the Christ. <laughs> wow. Oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not deifying the stag. I'm understanding how the stag also is filled with an experience of the Christ. Oh, sure. absolutely. Uh, and the tree and, and, and stardust, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my gosh. That is so beautiful. And it, it gives everything more dignity. And everything more weight and beauty. In in my years in in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was so um, gifted to attend and, and to be part of many Buddhist ashrams and mm. and gatherings and and understanding and and receiving from them 
the sense of life and thinking as a journey. Mm, thinking as a and, journey, yeah. And getting out of this having thoughts and and getting down into the stream of thought and wow. letting the stream happen. That is so beneficial. And, and then bringing that home to my Christianity. That and, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I I know that probably my journey is a little out of the ordinary, but that's good. I, I've never, I mean, I've always been a committed Christian. I've, it's, it's funny. It's like, I've never really questioned Christianity for myself. Uh, but, it, but Christianity has always been a growing ever wider experience. Yeah, that is, and that is beautiful. And that fits into our language, you know, like we said before, our language of deconstruction, it's, it's more deconstructing, um, your, your perspective, your own perspective. You know, it sounds like we're sitting around taking everything around us apart when really it's it's our own perspectives that we're taking apart in order to have a wider perspective. That is so that is so so good, Alexander. Thank you so much uh, for your time. If you could close by giving some thoughts to, uh, we have a lot of listeners that have uh, been really really turned off by people of faith and um, just, you know, aren't, aren't really interested, but they're interested in being part of the discussion. And if there's anything that you could say to, uh, some of those listeners, or then on the other side, a little bit more people that are a little bit more staunch, just some, some winsome, uh, gracious wisdom for, for people that feel a little bit stuck in either one of those, uh, two, uh, sides. Um, what I'm trying to, to find the words for are, um, I love both of those perspectives and I know the pain in both of those perspectives mm. because many of my family and friends, um, we walk together through those questions. Yeah. There is a harmony that is waiting for all of us. Oh. And that harmony requires the truth of each one of us. I don't want anyone mm. to forsake their truth, mm. but I want, I want to invite everyone to understand that when we come together on that ground of our truth, where we are respectfully open to a different truth than another person, there's a reality, call it the spirit, call it the Christ. There's a reality which will, which will give us a brighter future. That is so beautiful, oh, Alexander. Um, we, uh, we just are so thankful for you. Thank you so much for how, how raw and vulnerable and courageous uh, that you've been in your work. Um, if you'd like to direct, uh, say a couple words about the work you're doing and invite some people towards uh, your ministries, it's Quadratos. Where can we find out a little bit more about that and where can people learn more from you? Um, there, are two, there are two things. One is... Um, my author site on Facebook, which is under my full name, Alexander John Shia. We'll and, put that in the show notes. And uh, the, the, the Facebook page there is going to be the cover to the book, Heart and Mind. Okay. And then also there is my website, which is Quadratus, quad for four, Q-U-A-D, quad yeah. for four, raw toast, T-O-S dot com. Got it. We'll also put that in the show notes. What? What we're just finishing up now, it's been a three-year work, 
is to develop a series of what we're calling companion guides for the journey that follow either the book Hidden Power or Heart and Mind. And these, this is for two people, three people, 10 people. Come together, look at these companion guides. They ask open-ended questions. Discover the journey. Oh, be, so with, be with each other as you, yes. as you walk the journey. Yes. Uh, this is not, it's not a book study. And we, we're following groups around the world that have started. Some of them now have been going for a year and a half. And they are discovering the beauty of shaloming. Oh wow. man, we're gonna and be that, we're gonna be getting down on some of that. Oh, absolutely. So the, the guides are available through the Quadratus website, but either the Facebook page Alexander John Shia or um, the Quadratus website will get you there. Perfect. Well, Alexander, thank you again so much. We hope that you'll come back at some point and talk to us. We just think that there's so much more to be said, but. Um, we are just so grateful to you for your time. And I'm grateful for the work that you're doing, and I would love to come back on sometime. Oh, oh thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. You made a dream come true for all of us today yeah. and so yeah. many of our listeners. Cool. Take care. Thank Take care. You too. Thank all you. Grace and peace, friend. Wow. Well, what can we say but thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Deconstructionist Podcast. We just want to remind you all that are listening to this episode, to this series, maybe you've listened to multiple episodes. This show, this space is sacred and it is formed by you, the listener. This is a place that John and I, we work on and we form and we agonize about this space, thinking about all of you, thinking about you out there with your doubts, thinking about you on your journeys, knowing that you guys are with us and that there are many, many, many more that we are going to encounter and be with. And so the tweets you send, the emails you send, the activity in the Deconstructionists Anonymous forum on our website, www.thedeconstructionists.com, all of this goes into this space. It's a safe place to doubt, to wrestle, to struggle, to step outside yourself and the worldviews and the beliefs that you've been given and refuse to let it journey for you but to wake up to become enlightened whatever kind of language you want to use and go on this journey with intentionality knowing that you're surrounded by others and that there is grace that upholds all of us in some mysterious way we want to thank you guys for listening we want to invite you to share this with your friends follow us on twitter at the deconstruct cast on facebook at the deconstructionists podcast and there's our website www.thedeconstructionists.com on that website you will find a forum the deconstructionists anonymous forum a safe place to just vent discuss 
Uh, we prefer you don't debate and argue. This is supposed to be a place to just get things out and engage new opinions. Definitely feel free to disagree and to give people different perspectives, but keep that place warm, keep that place inviting. Uh, we, wanted that, we want that to be a very safe, wonderful, winsome, uh, good place for people to be. And then last but not least, some of you have been so generous to donate to this cause. If you find this space something that has benefited you, if you engage with it, if you're sharing it with people, if it is doing something for you and your journey, please consider donating. John and I are spending our wives' precious money and causing them massive panic and anxiety attacks. That's actually not true. But microphones and books and beer and guests and website domains and internet storage and equipment and all of these kinds of things does actually start to add up a lot more <laughs> than we thought it ever would. So if you want to, you can go to our donate uh, spot on our website page and uh, we kept all the donation prices super, super low. It's like five, 10 and $25 max donations. That would be phenomenal. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Deconstructionist podcast and we cannot wait to spend some time with you guys again soon. We love you all and we will talk to you soon. Keep deconstructing. <laughs>